Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Mike Judge, and you're listening to the Pantheon Network. <laughs> hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to Season 6, Episode 16 of Music is Not a Genre. Thank you, as always, for watching and listening. If indeed you are only listening, don't forget you can go to youtube.com slash at music is not a genre and see a video for every single episode that I release, including the podfasts. Uh, subscribe there. There's a lot going on there. A lot of a lot of comments, a lot of conversation. I would love to have you there. And for those of you who are already watching at YouTube, I love having you here. Uh, let's get right into it. As usual, the topic for this week, as you can hopefully tell by uh, if you can see what's in the background, uh, those of you listening, I'll tell you in a sec. And my shirt, bleep boop, Video game music is super epic legend. So, yes, those of you just listening, I'm wearing a shirt that says Body by, by, uh, it's supposed to be Nintendo, it's a Nintendo controller, so Body by Controller, whatever. And in the back, I have games from the old Atari 2600, I have a game from the Wii, I have a Wii controller, uh, well, it was actually not a Wii controller, I think it's the GameCube controller that was adapted for the Wii, so fun stuff like that. Uh, so first of all, why the subtitle? I always like to start with why the subtitle? Uh, and you should know that I'm on medication right now, so this could be a really fun trip for both of us, which honestly, considering the topic, it might be appropriate. You know, I'm not saying that video game people are on medication. I'm saying that video games are a trip. They're a wild ride. And so let's take that ride <laughs> together. Man, that was cheesy. Uh, yeah, so the subtitle, Video Game Music, Super for Super Mario Epic for Epic Games and Legend for Legend of Zelda, but also because at this point, video game music is super and epic and legend. It just is, Uh, which is one reason why I'm doing this episode. I have been a fan of video games uh, since the days of Pong and Atari. Yes, I have played both of those, uh, the latter, many, many, many hours, many hours, many days and weeks. Uh, and, of course, all the arcade games that popped up uh, a little later than that, uh, maybe even around that time. And then Nintendo, uh, all the various permutations of Nintendo. I've owned almost all of them, including a lot of the handhelds. Uh, I play mostly phone games now because I'm mostly with my phone, uh, although I do have kids. And when my kids come over, we usually play on the Switch which is fun, or we hook up my Wii and we play some old Wii games. And yes, my kids are also uh, big fans of video games, all three of them, and I even consulted with them on some of the music, which I'll uh, mention when I get there. People, when you when people think of video games, they of course think of the gaming part of that, and they don't immediately think of music. But music has been a, a big part of video games since really since almost the beginning, and you may find actually the beginning. Uh, from its origins as uh, 8-bit music, which we're going to talk a lot about, uh, it became a sub-genre of electronic music. That's the subject of my bonus episode at patreon.com slash music is not a genre. The bonus episode for this video game music episode is going to be about 8-bit music, chiptune, Nintendo core, and all of the actual music genres that stemmed and were inspired by video game music. Uh, it, it from its origins as that it has expanded to beautiful and elaborate orchestral music, industrial techno, uh, original songs written for and or even debuting in video games and uh, even live music. 
which we'll talk about a little bit later too. Uh, I would venture to say there's no video game from the last 45 years or so that hasn't had some element of music. I could be wrong. There are probably a few that just went super silent and maybe just had uh, you know sound effects, but you can tell me because uh, I like to hear from you anyway. Uh, my sources, of course, Wikipedia. I uh, recommend you looking that up. There's a lot of information there. It's not comprehensive. It never really is, but it's a good place to start. Uh, filling in some of those gaps, uh, there's a site, csanyk.com, sweetwater.com, soundoflife.com, GameSpot, uh, artsandculture.google.com, uh, slash blah, blah, blah. There's a ha- history of video game music. A channel called Gameplay Metal on YouTube gave me some important information. UltimateClassicRock.com, classic rock video games. There's, there's a part of that element in there. Uh, big note, this is not a history of video games, uh, and there are eight generations of consoles. It's not a history of digital music either. It will touch on both, but this is where those two things converge. That's what this episode is about. It's a music podcast, mostly. And a disclaimer, I'm going to miss a lot. There's no possible way to cover all of the music and all the video games, even all of the great music or all of the favorite music. Uh, I will probably miss some of your favorites I think I may have even missed some of my favorites. So let's get into the meat of this. Uh, a prehistory first. So computer music, uh, so far as I could research, was first generated in Australia in 1950. And it quickly spread in, in throughout the 1950s, but in labs. Uh, the scientists were mainly making the music at that time just to see what the systems could do. Uh, And people both created new compositions and adapted existing works, popular uh, songs, classical songs, children's tunes, folk tunes, you know, things like that. By the 1960s, computer scientists and composers were moving uh, computer sound beyond bleeps and boops and into synthesizing or approximating actual instruments, uh, even even by the 1960s. They would get better, obviously. Let me tell you, some of the some of the um, approximations of real instruments in the 19. 80s and even early 90s were not that great. So, you know, it's come a real long way. Uh, But that's when it started. The technology was widespread enough in the 1970s for musicians beyond the computer world to use it. And even whole albums were made of, of digital music, of computer music, such as one from the first Philadelphia Computer Music Festival in 1978. Shout out my home city. or was where I was born anyway. I don't live there now. As part of the Personal Computing 78 show. So the technology was in place for sound and music to be part of video games from almost the beginning, which now we can get into the history of video game music. That was your little prehistory. Uh, Video games had been in development since at least the late 1940s. Yes, you heard that right. What I love about technology is by the time technology becomes A, known by the masses, and B, affordable enough for the masses to buy it, it's already been around for 10, 20 years, 30 years, you know, and and that's the case here. Many of the early video games were based on kind of simple dot matrix graphics uh, or text-based even, and none of them had sound. But I did find on one of those forums I mentioned a version of Checkers was created in 1951 that would trigger a computer version of God Save the Queen after you completed the game. So somebody wins the checkers game, it triggered a version. So it didn't play during the game, but that was music that was essentially a part of that game in some way, which means the idea for video game music was there from almost the beginning of of computers, really. Uh, Though it wouldn't take hold, of course, for at least another 20 years. So the first game to have any kind of sound at all other than what I just mentioned, at least that we know of. And again, if I'm missing one, if I couldn't find it, if you know better, please tell me. It was Pong, 1972, that iconic boop when the ball hit the paddle, boop, boop, you know, that was the sound. And it was considered kind of revolutionary at the time. Of course, Pong in general was considered revolutionary. One of the first games to incorporate music was uh, Tomohiro Nishikado's Gunfight of 1975 is an arcade game which had an intro song. Uh, that same person will go on to create Space Invaders, which was the first game to have a continuous sound 
track, not not music. It just sound effects, but it was continuous. The space uh, space invaders. Uh, and and a note here that, as I mentioned before, video game music has uh, subsequently been called chiptune based on computer chip generated music, among other names. Uh, I'm not sure where I put that note there. Uh, you can go ahead and splice this out and do an edit of this uh, if you want. As with the history of video games themselves, Japan played a huge role in developing and disseminating video game music. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Uh, the first home game console, the Magnavox Odyssey, was not capable of sound. Not its first version. Uh, and so no sound, no music at all until uh, the, the 1975 version, the 100, came out. Then it was capable of sound, uh, sound effects, uh, probably very minimal. For most of the 1970s, game music uh, would and honestly could only exist in arcade consoles because... They were larger. They had greater storage capacity, greater processing capacity. Uh, the home versions of uh, these consoles, there's just not enough space to put music on with everything else at the time. One of the first and possibly the first home console to feature music in many of its games was the Atari 2600, which if you can see back there, I think it's that side. A couple Atari 2600 games, uh, Pole Position and Donkey Kong. Yeah, um, this was almost, I think it was pretty much always intro or interstitial music. It was not background or continuous music. It wouldn't have been possible with the processing power. Uh, and it was capable of generating only one or two tones at a time again, mostly because of that processing power. And this is where the sound of 8-bit music came from. This is what we think of when we say 8-bit music. This was already considered part of the second generation of home game consoles because there were... Uh, you know, 8-bit systems, as I mentioned, uh, the music has been called 8-bit music. Again, my bonus M extra video is on 8-bit music, meaning pop and rock and other industrial and punk music that uses the 8-bit sound, it's been inspired by video games. Uh, continuing the history, the Fairchild Channel F came out the the year before the Atari and was the first second-generation console. Uh, I couldn't find any source that said that it had music, at least not until its second version in 1978. So if you say the the 2600 was, uh, what was that, 77, I believe? And so this Fairchild was 76. 
So shortly after that, uh, it would add sound. Now nobody, including me, knows what the hell Fairchild Channel F is. But the F stands for fun. And that's not a joke. It actually said that. The other big console to follow the 2600 was the Intellivision in 1980, which also had rudimentary music. And again, limited the music to one or two notes at a time. I remember... You know, it may not might not have been the first, but it was the first I was aware of. I I remember the first kind of head to head Coke Pepsi thing in video games being, did you own the twenty six hundred or did you own the Intellivision? And uh, we owned the twenty six hundred. We would visit people's houses who own the Intellivision, and it's just like with any other two, you know, pair uh, Nintendo or Xbox or PlayStation, whatever. There are different pros and cons for each. And I felt that then. Uh, I've always been a Nintendo person, you know, Atari and then Nintendo, but I did actually really enjoy Intellivision too. Uh, systems would remain 8-bit for the third generation in the early 1980s, which includes, early to mid, really, uh, the Nintendo NES, Nintendo Entertainment System, released uh, in 1983 as Famicom, Famicom in Japan, and then 1985 as the NES in the United States. The Atari 7800, which was the third generation of Atari in 1986. Uh, music would take a big leap, even though these were still 8-bit systems. Uh, to a lesser extent, Sega's Master System Mark III. Sega was trying to dip its toe into the market. It hadn't quite hit where it would eventually hit. Not until the fourth generation, though, did consoles jump to 16-bit? And we're going to get to that shortly. Arguably, and you can argue with me, the first video game theme song to make a cultural impact beyond gaming has to be the Pac-Man theme, all right, in 1980. Uh, in the influence section, we're going to talk more about uh, a group called Buckner and Garcia. I did an episode of their album in season one, they're the ones who did Pac-Man Fever, an old band of mine. We covered that live. It was it was damn fun. I found the closest uh, approximation of the Pac-Man sound on my keyboard that I could at the time. Uh, also, 1980 was the year when the first arcade game to have continuous music, not just sound like Space Invaders, and that was Rally X. But the early, the by the early 1980s uh, in arcades. And then the mid-1980s at home, consoles were capable of more multi-timbrality. Now, I, will, I could pause to let you look up what multi-timbrality means. It comes from multi-timbral, uh, which just means uh, playing more than one note at the time, but playing and capable of more, what I'm saying is it could play maybe three or four notes at a time. So songs became more layered, more complex. Uh, games were also using more sampled and synth sounds as opposed to just computer-generated bleep-boop pitches. Which brings us into the classic era when uh, music, and this again is the early 80s in uh, arcades, themes like Frogger, Galaga, Super Mario... Zelda, and so many others were breaking ground into being actually memorable and hummable. So this was really throughout the 80s. It started again in arcades and moved to the consoles. That was a huge time for video game music actually making uh, an impact even beyond Pac-Man. All these types of music, uh, video games, incorporated multiple styles. Uh, Mario and Donkey Kong and other Nintendo titles have always kind of had a more backward-looking sound. Uh, I mean, they've evolved since then. But if you think of like early 20th century and late 19th century music, uh, Western music, American music, uh, popular classical music filtered through a, a, a Japanese aesthetic uh, that's kind of the sound that you get from... And by the way, if you look at the graphic that I created for this episode, that's the intro to uh, the Super Mario, the original Super Mario theme. E-E-E-C-E-G, uh, uh, low G. So that, that's what it is there. I wanted to illustrate that with the proper uh, notation, proper uh, uh, meter, too. Most early games fell into the category of those kind of songs, actually. But some games would adapt popular songs, like uh, Atari, and we're, so we're talking early 80s, had a, a video game called Journey Escape, 
BS, and it was based on the band Journey, uh, I guess escaping something, and it would use several of the band's songs. Uh, and similar to that, though, uh, better received than, than this next one is 1985 game based on, and pause for the shock, Paul McCartney's movie Give My Regards to Broad Street had a video game based on it. And the premise of the game was you had to drive around and collect, quote unquote, pieces of the song that you could put together, I assume, give my regards, you know, whatever the song was, while listening, I assume, in the car, I don't know, to uh, a version of Band on the Run, which I assume was a video gamey kind of uh, cover version of that. Uh, Very, very poorly received game, and I want to find it. I just want to see it. I want to even maybe play it and see why it was even done. There were so many like that. Uh, again, this is not a, 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 an episode on video games. I can get into all the games that tried real hard and, and didn't quite make it, and this is one of them. A huge influence on video game music through especially the 1980s was a band called Yellow Magic Orchestra from Japan, their electronic music band from Japan, starting with 1978's song uh, Computer Game. The sounds they used would become the standard for video game music during the third and fourth generation consoles. So already by then, and as I mentioned, the technology was cheaper enough that by the late 70s, especially bands were using electronics all over the place. But there was already some cross-pollination there between the you know pop and, and, and let's say legit music world and the video game music world. Uh, and... Please, let's take a pause uh, in memory of, actually still alive, but I just wanted to say that, Koji Kondo, no relation to Marie, who almost single-handedly made us realize how great and memorable video game music could be. And just a short list of his compositions from 1984 on, Punch-Out, Super Mario Brothers, and almost all, not all of the music in all of the games, but much of the music in most of the games was by Koji Kondo. Uh, all the offshoots and all of that stuff. Uh, in, up to the current Super Mario Wonder, he even contributed to that, which uh, I had a chance to play a little bit over the holiday. It was pretty great. Uh, Zelda. Almost all of the music to Zelda. That's sick. That's just, this guy is a genius. Star Fox. And perfect timing. He's being honored this year by the AIAS, Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, which gives out video game awards. And he's being honored for his 40 years of, uh, you know, music composition for video games. So 16-bit finally comes in the fourth generation of consoles, and they took a huge leap. And it's really where this era where the templates for just about all subsequent video game music uh, were established. So you had the Super NES, you had Sega Genesis, and there's that other head-to-head kind of Beatles, Stones, Coke, Pepsi thing going on between the Super NES and the Sega Genesis. A friend of mine in a band was a diehard Sega Sonic fan, and of course I was a diehard Super NES fan. Um, we never got into a fight about it, though. Isn't that nice? Uh, they and No one remembers this other one, which is the Neo Geo. Which is interesting because it was actually sort of 24-bit if you look it up. So this was considered part of the 16-bit generation but had 24-bit capabilities. Uh, Zelda, Sonic, Street Fighter, Final Fantasy, all these pop up during this era. Um, And many of these started to incorporate more modern music rather than just taking off classical and folk and and that kind of style. Uh, Imitating it, uh, it actually sounded more like the music than than just imitating or recreating it, which was because the technology was 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 better, greater sampling capabilities. This was also around when games started using actual full songs, and even dipped a toe into licensing licensing original full songs for the for games. Uh, you know, I think I always think of licensing games uh, songs for games as more of a kind of a late 90s and especially 2000s phenomenon that where it started where you had games like Grand Theft Auto you know and and all the things that came subsequent to that that would not just incorporate popular songs of various genres but then would would have artists write songs for them record them debut songs even but 
Some of that was done in the 1980s, such as for video games like Captain Blood and Xenon 2, uh, Bomb the Base. If you know that artist, I, I've heard of the artist. I, I'm pro- I probably heard some of his work, but uh, Bomb the Base was one of the first artists to create music explicitly for video games. Uh, precursor of that was in 1984, a game Deus Ex Machina, uh, but that required a separate uh, thing to play, and that thing is called a cassette. It's a cassette tape. So I, I had a computer back then, which honestly, if we could pan out and go to the left, you could see the very first computer I ever owned. It was a TI-99 uh, from 1983, and in order to save programs you needed to hook it up to a cassette player and save it on cassette. So cassettes were considered storage, uh, not just for sound. And in this case, you needed the, the whatever Deus Ex Machina was played on didn't have the processing power to, to actually play the music too. So you had to play it, uh, to hook it up and play it on the cassette, which I find wonderful. In the early mid-1990s, again, the music took another huge leap when consoles very quickly went from 16-bit to 32-bit and even more quickly went to 64-bit. Let's say the, the, the N64, of course. The mu- that by then, by the end of the 90s especially, the music was as elaborately produced as any other music in any genre, pop, rock, metal, electro, progressive. All those were represented as well, you know, along with so many more. Uh, in fact, the, the Quake, that first-person shooter which I think followed, did it follow Doom? I'm pretty sure, I don't, I don't remember which one came first, but whichever, Nine Inch Nails produced the music for Quake. And as we know, or if you don't, uh, Trent Reznor, uh, the, that band, or is the band essentially mostly, went on to do a lot of soundtracks for films. So this was sort of the this, this start of that, you could say. Uh, a Japanese game, Parappa the Rapper, was uh, around at that time. It's actually it actually won an award, uh, and the premise there was you had to master various styles of hip hop singing to try to get a date. So you know some uh, real world thing going on there. Yikes! To the point where 1999's Final Fantasy VI is often cited as one of the best video game soundtracks in history. So you go from the video game music being kind of kitschy but memorable in the 80s early 90s to becoming to the point where it's competing essentially with any music from anywhere else as far as you know quality and beauty and all of that and impact uh, after this point after the 90s music could be anything and everything the, the processing power was as was as large as as any other music player and it would con- continue to evolve and produce iconic themes and songs and i will mention a bunch of them in the next section uh, which we'll get to after uh, I take a break in a few minutes. In the 2000s, consoles that use CDs for their games often became actually the default music playing device for gamers, especially Xbox and PlayStation. They had great processing power for the sound, you know, and, and depending on how, how you hooked it up, great sound quality. So why not just play everything from there? Uh, again, the music has been honored often. Starting in 1986 with the Golden Joystick Awards, um, Sanction won for, for music that year, S-A-N-X-I-O-N. If there were earlier music awards, you can tell me, but I don't think so. As of 2023, uh, Grammys, it has its own category now. Last year, the, for the very first time, uh, it's its own category. It's not the first time a video game song has won a Grammy. I'll talk about that later. Assassin's Creed Valhalla Dawn of Ragnarok won last year. Uh, so I guess we'll see who wins this year. I don't know when the Grammys are. Though the first video game song to actually win a Grammy, I guess this is later. I should review my notes. Was in 2011. A song Baba Yetu from uh, the game Civilization IV won Best Instrumental Arrangement Accompanying Vocalists. So that wasn't a separate video game category, but it was a video game song. Uh, Notable, notable that in 2003, as early as 2003, the game Second Life allowed for live music concerts and virtual audiences within the game. And that's continued in games like The Sims, Minecraft, and Fortnite, which 
it was a big thing a few years ago. It was, a, I guess, you know, still doing its thing during the pandemic, especially. I know that it's still happening now. And I think now it's just been incorporated to the point where it's like, okay, now that's just part of games like that. Uh, so that brings me to the next section in which I will uh, talk about video game music milestones and standouts from the very beginning. And we're going to do that right after I take a break. So hang with me, uh, watch or listen to my mid-roll, uh, patronize whatever the hell it is I'm talking about, uh, nickdomadio.com and all that stuff. And I will see you in a couple of minutes. Hey, so I was going to do the usual and just list all of the links that I'd love for you to check out, but I realized that everything you need to know and everywhere you need to go is at nickdomadio.com. That really is the hub. I list all the links in every episode just in case, but nickdomadio.com is where I put everything that I do. If you want to know more about this podcast, whether it's the audio version or the YouTube version at youtube.com slash genre or wherever else the podcast shows up, or if you want to support the podcast at patreon.com, slash music is not a genre just go to nickdomadio.com it's all there if you want to check out my full discography of original music and covers for my band Rec R-E-C and beyond it's at nickdomadio.com including all the streaming and social links for wherever you listen to music and wherever you check out your sosh Uh, my acting clips are there my voiceover clips are there graphic design my blog and most especially it's the best place to contact me if you go to nickdomadio.com slash contact or just hit the contact is on every single page you can send me a note say hello ask me any questions you'd like you get a newsletter a few times a month and if you have a project of your own and need work done for it whether it's audio editing or music or voiceover or graphic design or if you have an event and you need live music go to nicktomadio.com contact me say hello let me know what you need i'd love to hear from you Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. Crossfade. And we're back. I don't know. I just have fun with that. And we're back. Uh, And as I mentioned, we're going to talk about video game music milestones and standouts. Uh, I'm going to go chronologically. Now, of course, uh, I'm going to miss a lot, like I said. But along with that note, it's important for me to say that I am not going to mention... Every sequel to every video game franchise. Uh, I'm not going to mention all of the RPGs that have killer music. I'll mention some of them. It just—it's just not enough time. It's not enough, you know, whatever. Uh, I could do more research, but uh, that would require you to go to Patreon.com/slash Music Is Not a Genre and help fund this endeavor. The the more patrons I have there, the more time I can devote to these episodes. Uh, not that I don't already devote a uh, buttload of time. So let's get right into it. 1980, again, uh, some milestones and standout. Uh, uh, Pac-Man, right? Uh, now, this is when I mentioned I would talk about this. So season one, episode eight of Music Is Not A Genre, before it was even called that, I did an episode on Buckner and Garcia's Pac-Man Fever album. That song, the title song, was actually a huge hit hit. Uh, and I think somewhere, I think I mentioned in Influences what other songs were on that Buckner and Garcia. So I'm kind of teasing you throughout this. But uh, again, my band played it. It was a song I remember from the uh, radio and all of that stuff. Another uh, video game that was a music milestone that year in 1980 was Rally X, as I mentioned before. It's the first one to have continuous Uh, music, not just continuous sound. In 1981, Frogger, uh, Galaga, which, by the way, is the sequel to 1979's Galaxians. And I I always wondered that because they seemed so similar. And everybody talks about Galaga but doesn't really talk about Galaxian much anymore. And it turns out that was just sort of the the next in the line, which is cool. Donkey Kong came out in 1981, too. So there's the treat for you. 1982, Miss Pac-Man. I think if you've played both Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man, people at a certain point often confuse the songs of the two. But I got to tell you, and of course, it's two years later, so everything had evolved. The music for Miss Pac-Man, I I mean, is like head over heels above Pac-Man. Of course, everyone's going to remember Pac-Man more because it was the first... 
Uh, and pole position, which again, I have back here, uh, right over my right shoulder, and Dig Dug. Ah, oh, God, one of my favorite games, and such uh, cool little music. Uh, I think, was that the... I think that might have been that one. Uh, 1983, Spy Hunter. Even though I had been, again, Pac-Man, whatever, I played a lot of arcade games, this this Spy Hunter, it was the first that I recall where I heard a song that I already knew, and that was the theme to Peter Gunn, the, movie, the, the TV show Peter Gunn, way before my time, written by Henry Mancini, the famous Henry Mancini, uh, was the theme to a Spy Hunter. Etc., etc. 1983, in the arcades, also Crystal Castles, also Dragon's Lair, if you know old video games, when you hear the name Dragon's Lair, you probably get a little tingle because it was unique. At the time, it used actual animation for its uh, gameplay in a sense. You would, do, you would do an action and then it would trigger uh, you know, a, a, an animated video voiced by actual Disney voice actors. And it would trigger the music as well. 1984... Pitfall 2 Lost Caverns is often considered one of the early great uh, video game uh, soundtracks. 1985, let's not even the joke, Super Mario comes out. Uh, so many versions have evolved since then. And the one thing you can count on, now I, I know that as a video game player, you know, you're, you may get and you will get maybe better graphics or certain other capabilities from other consoles. And of course, there's going to be great music on those too. But the one thing you can absolutely count on, and we're talking about the 85-86-1-2 punch, is, um, is, is consistently great music for every Mario and Zelda game. It's, that's, again, Koji Kondo. Uh, I get, I'm not going to mention all the sequels, but I will say that uh, one of my kids favorites is uh super mario galaxy uh, i love the original of course and the, anything from the super nes uh super mario sunshine is near and dear to me and all of that music uh o- odyssey uh was another one that one of my uh, kids mentioned uh also that year uh the, the game tetris came out but but no music. So we'll talk about that in a second. 1986, you had Metroid franchise start, which has been lauded over the years for having great music. And Zelda, yes. And when I asked uh, my kid, what what's your favorite Zelda music? They were basically like every single Zelda game. And I mean, for me, it's going to be Wind Waker. Because again, that kind of like uh, GameCube era holds a special place in my heart. It's the first time I had a kid and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but when I hear Wind Waker music to this day, I get kind of a chill. Uh, Sanction was the one I mentioned before. First ever award for video game musical Joystick. 1987. That's me choking on my own body. Uh, Final Fantasy started. And that, again, has been lauded, like I said, Final Fantasy VI, but so many of the versions of that game for having great music. A game called Whizball. Street Fighter started that year, although it wouldn't be really till Street Fighter II and beyond where the, where the music evolved. Metal Gear. Uh, so metal music. And this is 1987. It's still pretty early. Castlevania franchise started... And again, and it didn't maybe start here, but it would go on to be considered one of the top games for music. Uh, 1988 is the year I was talking about. Tetris added music in 1988, which is really what made it take off that and its pairing with the Game Boy. Hey, there's a movie about that. You should just go watch that movie. It was stars, I think, the guy who played Elton John or whatever. Uh, And it's become one of the top iconic songs uh, up there with Pac-Man and Mario and, and so many others. And it's based on the Russian folk tune, Korobaniki, which ends with the, the Niki. That's, that's me. Uh, and if, once you hear it, you can't get it out of your head. And, and, I mean, Tetris is an awesome game in general. It's a phenomenon that, again, has had an impact beyond the gaming world. And so is the song. Uh, Bionic Commando in 88 won a golden joystick and Robocop, uh, there was a one based on RoboCop. Apparently, the music for that was also very good. In 1989, 
Uh, there was a game called Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, which used some of that music, and uh, that's notable as far as for video game music development. Adventures in Time was another good one that year. Uh, Dragon Warrior, which became was also Dragon Quest, I believe, in Japan, I want to say, and Europe maybe, uh, was noted for having great music. And again, so I'm already getting up to 1990, which the only one I have listed there is Dr. Mario. And I was obsessed with that game. And although I can't remember the music right now, when I hear it anywhere else, I know where it came from. I just, the, the way the gameplay and the graphics and the music all synced up was, was genius. It was one of the best. But again, we're already up to, to, to 19 only up to 1990. There's so much other great music uh, to come. 1991, there was a video game uh, based on the Blues Brothers. And then, of course, the Super NES comes out. And I don't even know where to start there. But I will say that Mario Paint, which was, I think, you had a choice between what cartridge would come with the console, and I believe we chose Mario Paint for whatever reason, or whatever that whole one is. And that sound, it was sort of like, almost like waiting waiting room music. It was so soothing and infectious. And uh, not only that, I actually, in part, of course not in whole, based a song on my band Rex's upcoming album, Kite to Camden, Partly on the Mario Paint music, uh, which I uh, call Rhythm 77. So when you listen to that song, when it comes out, and I'll remind you, think of Mario Paint. You'll pro- it'll probably ring a bell. Uh, Sonic in 91. And Civilization, which I had mentioned, that was you know, Civilization 4 is considered one of the great game uh, musics. Musics, games, musics, musics, everything's plural. 1992, Motorhead had a video game based on it. So, you know, metal music from pretty early on had been a part of uh, video games. Really, when you think of styles, you think of that early where it was, like I said, classical or folk or early 20th century, almost ragtimey when you think of Nintendo and stuff like that, or, you know, um, folk tunes, stuff like that. And then it would morph into some pop things, but that didn't really super take hold. To me, I always think of... Of course, orchestral, especially with Zelda and, and, and a lot of the RPGs. But metal and industrial, uh, you know, and the techno and all that stuff have played a huge part in video game music world. Mortal Kombat 1992. Streets of Rage 2, also considered really good music from that year. In 1993, Star Fox, Koji Kondo, as I mentioned. 1994... Uh, Revolution X came out. No idea. I don't even know what console that was on. All I know is that it very heavily incorporated Aerosmith's music, and I believe it even had a uh, visual version of the band in the video game. Tekken that year. Donkey Kong Country again. I, I could. This is one of those games that just hit me in a place. Because for me... So many of the consoles are special for so many different reasons. But that Super NES console, and at the time I was teaching piano, and some of my kids, of course, had the Super NES. And there was one kid who was just heavily into Donkey Kong Country, and we would discuss what levels we were at and what we did here or there. And I just remember, and it's this has been, again, praised as having some of the greatest music in video game history. 1995, Twisted Metal, again, metal, music, uh, won awards that year. 1996, you have Quake, uh, Pokemon debuts, which would, that would evolve into some amazing music. Resident Evil would evolve and have to have some amazing music. 1997, the very first Grand Theft Auto. And of course, what was unique about that from the very beginning is how it incorporated music, which is it made it a part of the world. So you're driving around wherever you are. You have the radio on in the car. It had different radio stations that you could dial up. You could turn to different whatever different genre you wanted. I don't know how many it had, and it would eventually add to those. It would add talk radio and sports radio, like all this stuff. It made it very real feeling. Uh, and as I said, with with GTA, the franchise eventually made licensed music a huge part of its game, and it would spread to being a huge part in video games in general. Which brings me to 1998, which is the year Parappa the Rapper won its award, as I mentioned before. Uh, and then there was a game 
called uh, Music in 9899 and Music 2000, the, the sequel. And that was a video game where it gave you the ability to create songs using existing riffs and samples, vocals, effects, instruments. Uh, you could, you know, kind of compile all of that and sequence it and whatever and create songs from that. It was considered actually pretty good. You know, and similar in the way it functioned to um, uh, Fruity Loops, which is now FL Studio, which came out around the same time. Uh, and Dance Dance Revolution, its first version, came out in 9899. And, and usually when I have a slash like that, it's because it came out, it, most of, many of these come out earlier in Japan and then they're released in, you know, Europe and the US. 1999 is the first year of Super Smash Brothers, which went on to be acclaimed for having great music. 2000, The Sims, and we mentioned how The Sims eventually incorporated live music. Uh, and, and even from what I understand, and I've never done this, but I believe it's not just because there have been huge mega stars who have staged concerts in some of these games, but any, anybody who has a certain uh, access to the account, any musician and the right tools can do a concert in some of these games. Correct me if I'm wrong. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. 2001, first Halo, first Animal Crossing. And they would go on to be acclaimed for having great music. Uh, Luigi's Mansion and the GameCube. And again, that special time. And, you know, Luigi's Mansion was one of those that sort of fell through the cracks after those couple of years and then just kind of came back raging with a couple new versions in recent years, which is good because to me it was one of the greatest games in the GameCube and such great music. 2002, uh, Kingdom Hearts. The song Dearly Beloved was listed on a lot of sites as being one of the greatest video game songs. Uh, I, I played, I think I played like three minutes of Kingdom Hearts once a long time ago. And then 2002 again, Zelda's Wind Waker. Uh, I, I would have to put that in my top three faves as far as music in general. And honestly, if I was the kind of person that listened to background music while I was working, which I'm, I'm not, but if I am... if that would be one of the ones I would put on because it's just beautiful, uh, all of it. 2003, Tony Hawk's Underground. Like uh, Grand Theft Auto, licensed a lot of music that wasn't originally part of video games. Uh, that was well known for that. 2005, the first Guitar Hero comes out. Uh, and my uh, son, Colin, at a very early age, we're talking about not even two years old, was was adept enough to want to learn how to play Guitar Hero. And those were, I mean, I don't know, there's, I don't think anything's come along that's sort of been in that same realm for many, many years, but that was a huge thing for probably almost 10 years, those kinds of games, uh, and, and pretty revolutionary at the time. 2006, when the Wii comes out, forget it. Um, the Me channel on the Wii, uh, has been listed as having some of the, the most memorable music. And, and it's again, it's sort of like waiting room music in its own way, the way Mario Paint was. And, and I think that uh, Nintendo has done that a lot, whether it's with Wii Sports or these kind of channel things where they'll have that kind of waiting room music. And what, what's amazing about it is that could very easily become uh, monotonous and grating if it's not done well. How many freaking Instagram videos... I have listened to or turned the sound off, honestly, after a while because the loop they use is not sustainable over more than a, you know, 10, 20, 30 seconds at most. But good composers know how to make that work, and, and people for Nintendo did and do. 2007, the first rock band. 
followed a couple of years later by rock band Beatles and talk about revolutions, like to be able to separate the parts of these songs, especially the entire Beatles catalog that would eventually be used for other things like the Cirque du Soleil, whatever, I don't know, all those things. Maybe that's where it came from, but uh, absolutely amazing and be able to dive into the middle of this music and play some of those things. Uh, again, my kids loved it. 2009 is also in Minecraft came out and that's been huge for music in many different ways uh, the song itself and people being able to play music within minecraft 2011 skyrim often uh, acclaimed and 2013's tower fall one of my kids favorite uh games which is a very indie feel i can't remember if it is indie and the fact that there are indie games now and have been for the last you know however many years is is awesome to me. Now, listen, there were indie games way, way back, even in the 70s and 80s, and a lot of the Atari games I got were really cheap, like knockoff games or discount bin games that were often created by indie companies cashing in, and some of them were actually good and some were utter crap, but a lot of the indie games now kind of go so far afield uh, using kind of templates from other games like um, side-scrolling games or whatever, uh, but create these worlds that are so unique. Uh, Tower Fall is one of them. 2015, uh, Undertale was one uh, mentioned by my kid Will, and that's another, I think, indie game. And then my one of my other kids, Colin, uh, Rocket League, big game. There's a lot of EDM in Rocket League, and it's just a big part of the gameplay in general. 2016, the fifth in the Persona series came out, and Persona 5 is has been uh, considered one of the greatest uh, you know, for music, and Will mentioned that as well. 2017, Fortnite, again, a lot of music incorporation there, and even live music, and my, my son Colin. Uh, plays a lot of Fortnite. Uh, 2018, another, I want to say, indie game, also suggested by Will, is the game Celeste. And I honestly think that both the music and the, and the sound and the graphics are all really beautiful there. And, you know, that's the end of that section. It went by quickly, but we spanned about 40 years. And all I can say is I missed, I know I missed a ton. And I want to hear from you as to the ones you think should have been included in that list. Brings me to the next section. We only have a little more to go. Uh, Influence on popular music. So I mentioned the Yellow Magic Orchestra, the Japanese electronic uh, music band, cross-pollinating in a way between its music. They would imitate computer music and then video games would imitate their music. They sampled Space Invaders in their song Computer Game. And that's why they influenced 80s video game music so much. The Pretenders in 1980 did a song called Space Invader. Pac-Man Fever in 1982, Buckner and Garcia. Let's get into it for real. People forget it was a whole album and not just a song. It featured music about these other games besides Pac-Man. Frogger, Centipede, Donkey Kong, Hyperspace, Defender, Mousetrap, Berserk. Berserk is is Berserk. Uh, Fun album. I forget which ones I like that I thought sort of measured up to Pac-Man. Not every single one did. Video game music influenced uh, hip-hop pop and electro a lot in the 80s when you think of um, Firefox or you think of Planet Rock and things like that. I mean, that that was like huge. I know Kraftwerk is, is in there too, but you know, you can't really get away from electronic music without mentioning Kraftwerk at some point. Uh, 1984, Jesse Saunders, On and On, is considered the first Chicago house track. It used sounds from Space Invaders. People have used old video game consoles themselves to actually create music up until it was bigger 15, 20 years ago. But even now, people will get take like a Game Boy or something and bring it on stage and they've rigged it to where you can play music on it live. Uh, live performance of actual music from video games has actually been happening since the 1980s. And there were a few album releases of um ensembles performing video game music in the 1990s but it didn't really take off until the 2000s when there was a string of final fantasy concerts and concerts dedicated to other video game music i remember hearing full orchestras doing the zelda music or mario music or tetris music amazing and beautiful and i mean there've also been techno and dance versions of all of these song uh, all of these types of songs you can find a ton of that online just look it up and live concerts like that video game music concerts are still going on today uh, and there have even been, like I said, techno, dance, hip-hop. 
uh, metal versions of video game songs, which are really fun. Uh, Hyperpop, which has been around a few years now, has huge video game music elements in it. Even its pace is very, very video gamey. It's probably, to me, it's come closest to capturing the energy of actual video games than any other music that's existed. Uh, take it or leave it. You know, you can listen to some of it, and then after a while, you kind of, you kind of need to listen to maybe, you know, a lo-fi. In the last fifteen years, uh, the influence video game music has increased, especially in pop, techno, and hip hop, to the point where much of what you hear now somehow incorporates some of those sounds in one way or another. But also with the introduction and and or surge of genres that take their cue from video game music, which again is what the Bonus M Extra video is about. It's about 8-bit. It's about chiptune. It's about Nintendo Core. I'm going to get into all that in the bonus episode. And of late, that music has actually influenced music from some pretty big people such as uh, Kesha's song TikTok from a decade or so ago. Uh, songs by 50 Cent, Robin, Snoop, uh, Eminem, and, and Nelly Furtado, Timbaland, Huge, they, they've all been influenced by video game music in, in some of their work, as well as Dizzy Rascal, or if you remember my episode on British hip-hop, one of my favorite, favorites, who is actually coming out with a new album, I believe, this year. Uh, a lot of that certain sound, especially on the earlier albums, very video gamey. And then there's a heavy metal band, uh, Dragon Force, also that's considered influenced by video games, which the name itself sounds like a video game. So conclusions in my favorites. Again, I grew up on Atari and then Nintendo, all the different consoles. Uh, I, I mentioned the Peter Gunn theme for the racing game, uh, Pac-Man, all the Mario, uh, you know, uh, pretty much anything from Super NES and the GameCube. Uh, the most recent scrolling video uh, Mario games, the, the 2D, where the background dances, pop. You know, that I find, I just, that's delightful. Uh, Luigi's Mansion, Wario World, look it up. I wish they would make that available on the Switch. It's an, it's an awesome and weird game and neat music. Anything from Zelda, as I mentioned, Wind Waker. So the music's intention, one of the conclusions I think, you, you know, video game music's intention is somewhere between soundtrack and motivation, right? It's more active than a soundtrack it's not just meant to be background but it's a it's a it's not obviously driving the action but it is motivating it's to me it's as active and motivating as let's say workout music or some kinds of rave music or dance music uh but but for the brain and hands and and in any ways that you incorporate the body with video games as well but most primarily the brain and hands and eyes uh, I guess everything's the brain, right? Hey, let's do an hour on that. Video game music, uh, to me, isn't so much its own genre, even though we'll talk about that in the bonus, as it is a collection of genres that are geared toward the games. As we mentioned, so many genres of music have been used in these games, uh, with, again, the exception to that, what I just said, being 8-bit, chiptune, Nintendo Core. And uh, please go to patreon.com slash music is not a genre and watch the bonus M extra video on all of that music. Some video game music is revered as classical, it's orchestral, it's soundtrack music, and of course the music will continue to evolve and expand that has nothing to do with technology anymore because it kind of reached a limit, at least as far as our generation goes, which means it'll just go where it wants to go. Um, Again, there's almost no video game that doesn't have music, and frankly, uh, confession, I turn off the music for every single phone game I play. I turn off the sound in general. I turn off my phone sound in general. I don't like that invasion, but they all have music, and some of that music's really good. That's the phone game music. Uh, it's just part of it, you know, and, and anyone who's able to compose that, it's a kind of a lucky thing, right? And yes, like I said, there's no limit to where it can go and what other music it can inspire. Speaking of inspiration, getting to the, the end of this episode, the featured song for this is a, is a rec song from uh, our album, The Sunshine Seminar, and it's called KPS, which stands for Korean Pop Song. Immediately, you will hear a video game music influence. Uh, video, and, and listen, video game music has influenced me mainly because I incorporate a lot of electronic elements in what I do, and I like that 
dry electronic sound often, although not always. Glitch, I like the glitch. I like stop-start rhythms and things like that. And so that's been a part of a lot of my music. And you'll hear it uh, actually quite a bit on the upcoming album uh, when it comes out later this year, uh, Kite to Camden. But the KPS Korean pop song, it has that video game sound. And and I did it to honor other K-pop songs, but also to have fun with the with the the mode. And uh, there's a thing that happens at the beginning where I posit that the song is being uploaded to me by aliens, and I never figured out. You'll hear a very quick sound, and I never figured out why I put that in there. Well, later on this year, you're going to find a little bit out about, uh, let's just say, my origin story. That may help explain that. Uh, That's all I'm saying right now. So questions. What are some of your favorite video game songs? Can you hum one right now, even though you haven't heard it in years? Do you think video game music can be as good as other music? Have you heard other music clearly inspired by video games? What do you think I missed? I want to know your answers to all of these because, as always, my objectives here are music, conversation, and connection. Thank you for hanging with me for one of my favorite episodes, and I will talk to you next week.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 